gives and rewards faith. Thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the gift of your son, which we celebrated as we came to the table. And now we come to sit at your feet and receive from your hand your very word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach and instruct us. We ask for conviction of sins. We ask for edification. We ask for salvation. That your glorious will would be done in and through the reading, teaching, proclaiming of your word. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, we're talking about faith, right? Um, We have been working through the book of Hebrews for a few months now and I've gotten to Hebrews chapter 11, which is so often referred to as the hall of faith in scripture. And today we're actually, we, we touched on one to three last week, and we're going to be focused on four to seven this week. And I had, uh, we'll read one to seven just because it needed to be read. Um, <clears throat> so what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm not just going to jump in at chapter uh, verse four, um, but I'm going to pull from last week, and I, and I want to reread uh, verses 1 to 4 here. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then starting into our passage today, by faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's incredible. This is one of those passages, I think, well, all the Bible is simple enough to understand, but complex enough to keep us searching for our whole lifetimes. And I really just... <laughs> come to this passage today, and the only way I could mess this up, I think, is just not to read what's there. Um, it, it, it's, the Bible preaches itself, uh, and, and this passage really, really, really shows us that. Um, <clears throat> I want to remind you, too, that chapter 11 comes out of the end of chapter 10. Duh, right? 10, 11. Um, but at the end of chapter 10, I want to remind you that the writer was reassuring his readers that they and he, and so we as well, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so here in chapter 11, he's focusing kind of in a zoom in, blow up kind of way what that faith looks like. And we, gave, we saw last week he gave us a basic definition of faith in verse 1 of chapter 11. And then said that it was by faith that the people of old received their commendation and that it is by this same faith that we understand that God spoke the universe into existence, making all that is visible out of the invisible. Now something I want to reiterate and something I want to draw all of our minds and our hearts onto this morning is the fact that this faith is a gift of God. You are saved by grace through faith and that is not of yourselves. The grace and the faith are the gift of God. So much of my Christian life, I have worked hard to build up my faith. I've worked hard to muster up enough faith to maybe believe something. And what I see the book of Hebrews telling us, what I see the Scriptures telling us is that God has given us this faith. And I trust in Him. He's the source of the faith. And that's so important to realize because we can come to this chapter and we can say, well, I don't really have assurance of things hoped for. I really don't have conviction of things not seen. So what should you do? Try harder to do better? To quote the Apostle Paul, may it never be. What you do is you come to God and say, I need help. I don't need you to increase my faith necessarily. If I've got faith as a mustard seed, I can say to this mountain, be removed. It'll hop into the sea. I don't need more faith. I need to exercise the faith that God has given me way more than I need to try to drum up my own faith. 
That's so important. So important. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is your assurance. Faith is your conviction. And that has been given to you by God. And we saw that in verse 1 of chapter 11. So now, the author is going to show us how that same faith has played itself out over the course of history. Over the next several weeks, we're going to see the lives of God's people as, a, as we've seen, as we see in the Old Testament and as we will see in the New Testament as well. And why is the author going to do this? Why is he going to show us how that faith has played out over the course of history in the lives of God's people? He's going to do that in order to show his readers what this looks like in real life so that they can exercise the same faith as the faithful from years gone by. Oh, if I only had the faith of Job. Well, you do. Oh, if I only had the faith of Noah. Well, you do. That's the point here. It's the connection of our faith with their faith because it's the faith that comes from the source that is God Himself. And He's going to show us that. It has always been God's way for His people to walk by faith. It's always been God's people's way And we'll see that all through chapter 11. So first, by faith, able. Now we saw in last passage that God created everything out of nothing. The visible from the invisible. So that was the beginning. And he's going to work his way through. Okay, we're going to spend some time with Abel, Enoch, and Noah uh, today. Lord willing, next week we'll talk about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Okay, and he's working his way through. It's a history lesson, which is really cool too. So... So first, by faith, Abel. If you don't know, Abel is the son of the first couple, Adam and Eve. And as a quick side note, nobody referred to in chapter 11 is mythical or allegorical. So Abel's a real person. And if Abel's a real person, guess what? Abel had real parents. Sidebar, over. And in the account where we meet Abel, we read this in Genesis 4, 1 to 5. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. I hate it when my face falls, by the way. Every now and then. Now, the writer of Hebrews says that by faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So let's explore this a bit. In the Genesis account, Abel, a keeper of sheep, brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. In Hebrews, the writer says that what Abel offered to God was a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And why is that? Well, Genesis doesn't tell us, but Hebrews does. The best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. And Hebrews is probably the best New Testament book for Old Testament commentary, by the way. So what does the author of Hebrews say is the difference in Cain and Abel's offering? By faith. John Piper points out that faith is not mentioned in the Old Testament as reasons for any of these things happening that we're going to look at today. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is reading faith into the Old Testament text in his commentary on it. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Was it the fact that it was an animal and not fruit? No, not the point. The point is that he offered it by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel offered his gift in faith, and apparently Cain did not. And since Abel offered in faith, his was the more acceptable sacrifice. And through that faithful sacrifice, Abel was commended as righteous. That phrase, he was commended, is the same Greek word that we saw last week in 11.2, which said, for by faith the people of old received their commendation. 
So again, the meticulous mind and pen of the author of Hebrews is staying on message here as he always does. And that word commended is martureo, and it means to be approvingly testified of. Abel offered his offering in faith, and God testified approvingly of him. Anybody want God to testify approvingly about you? Well, today we see how that works and how that can happen. That testimony, that approving testimony, was that Abel was righteous, that he was right with God. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We're talking about him today, right? It's in the book. We see his name, and we're still talking about him today. And the man's been dead for a long time. Over 40 decades he's been dead. (laughs) It's a long time. (laughs) Though he died, he still speaks. And so we see God's testimony of those who worship, who offer in faith, and we see that that worship echoes down through the years and all throughout eternity. Although he died, he still speaks. It's beautiful. And what is Abel saying as he still speaks today? Make your offering, worship God by faith, the faith that he has given. Now on to verse 5. And another Old Testament testimony of faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended. There's that word again. As having pleased God. Okay, well, so let's just go ahead and look at the Old Testament account of this. Genesis 5, 18 to 24. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. And that's it. That's all we get. Until we get to this verse in Hebrews. Whether he is mentioned in the genealogy in one of the king's books. I don't remember which one. So God took him. What's that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. Okay? The Lexham Bible Dictionary says it this way. The great-grandfather of Noah and the seventh generation directly descended from Adam, the first character in the Bible to be assumed into God's dwelling place without having died first. That's weird, right? Like really, really, really weird. He didn't die. God just took him. I can't remember where I saw or heard it. I looked and couldn't find it. But someone asked a kid to explain this, and they said, since Enoch walked with God, God must have said to him one day while they were walking, well, we're closer to your, my place than yours, so won't you just come with me? <laughs> Probably not how it actually happened. But it's funny. But seriously, why did God take Enoch up? The Genesis account doesn't tell us much, right? It just says Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Imagine his friends, his family. Where did Enoch go? Have y'all seen Enoch? Y'all seen Enoch? Nope, haven't seen him. Mountain goat got him. I don't know, you know. I don't know. They don't know where Enoch's at. He's just gone. Did anybody see this happen? We don't know. There's very, 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 very little information about this in the Bible. But the writer of Hebrews tells us some more, doesn't he? By faith, he says, Enoch was taken up. And then when you jump to the end of the verse, now before he was... Before he was, uh, now before he was taken, he was commended, there's that word again, as having pleased God. And what pleased God with Enoch? It was, Hebrews 11, his faith. His faith pleased God. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. And when God takes you, you don't get found, by the way. And before he was taken, the author says, he was testified approvingly by God himself 
as having pleased God by his faith. So what did Enoch do that was so faithful? We don't know. The only thing we know is that he walked with God. So that's something. As a matter of fact, that's a very big something. We don't see that he did great acts. He didn't perform any miracles that's recorded in the Scripture. He didn't have buildings or stadiums full of people. He walked with God. Fellowship, friendship, conversation, shared life. Enoch walked with God. That might be an application point later, by the way, in case you're anticipating. And having walked with God by faith, God was well pleased with him. So well pleased, he just took him. Took him by faith, the author of Hebrews says. Okay, so one more account from an Old Testament fellow's faith testimony. We're going to jump to verse 7. If you'll realize I just did verse 5, but we're going to jump to verse 7 and come back to verse 6. I'm not smarter than the Bible, by the way. I'm not trying to outwit the Bible. So just so you know, we'll come back to 6. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So again, I jumped over verse 6. We'll get to it after this. Please trust me, if you will, and trust yourself to me with verse 6. I'll take you there, but not yet. But we come to our third Hall of Faith member here in verse 7. By faith, Noah. Now, who's Noah? Now, let me say something very quickly. If you don't think we're living in a post-Christian society, go out and ask ten people on the street if they know who Noah in the Bible is. I think you will be surprised at how many people don't know who Noah is. I talk to people all the time in therapy who have zero biblical context. And when I say zero, I mean zero. No Noah, no Daniel, no Jonah in the well, no Jesus. Be very careful that we just assume people know who Noah is. So... In order that we might know who Noah is, there's a lot more about Noah in the Old Testament than there is Abel and Enoch, probably combined. I definitely combined. But I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 6. A little bit more narrative here. Now, this is not very long, well, I mean, a lot of years, but not very many generations after creation and sin came into that creation. Again, we're in Genesis 6. The fall happens in Genesis 3. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh no, God must have failed. That's a different message. Anyway, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah, look at that, walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, Stop. God said to Noah, why? He had found favor in God's sight. That favor is grace, by the way. And Noah walked with God. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. Here's the blueprints. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. That's a good idea. And finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold... 
I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. Oh, woo! And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. Also a good idea. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Man, there is so much there. We don't have time to cover all that. But, but I just, <laughs> just hang on a second, okay? I've determined to make an end of all flesh. I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Uh, okay. Make the ark this way. This many decks. Here's the dimensions. Floods come and take your family. Put them on this boat you made. And all kinds of animals and food for all y'all. And then verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Wow. Now I'm not going to belabor this. But can we just look at that and be amazed? Noah's response to this. Noah did this. Noah did all that God commanded. And now back to Hebrews, how and or why did Noah do all this? By faith. And in reverent fear. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Did equals constructed. Constructed equals followed God's command down to the details. And by the way, if he hadn't followed him to the details, the ark might not have made it. But he did. By faith. By faith, the author says, and the writer also points out that all of this was in response to events as yet unseen. God had not, at this point of history, destroyed the whole earth with a flood yet. But Noah, by faith, said, okay, you said it, it's going to happen. I believe it. Noah did what he did, having not seen what was to come, and he did that by faith. And then see this, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah became an heir of righteousness, but the world was thereby condemned. And how did that happen? By faith. His faith showed his justification. And his faith showed the condemnation of the world. Faith is the difference between commendation and condemnation. Those who have faith are commended. Those who do not are condemned. The world did not have or walk by or do by faith. And so they were condemned. Faith saves those that are saved and lack of faith condemns those that are not. And tying that back into what we saw last week, the presence of faith shows the truth of salvation. And the absence of faith shows the truth that one is not saved or as it says here, one is condemned. The faith that is present in the believer is absent in the unbeliever. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's grace. And then he did what God commanded, and that's faith on display. We, like Noah, are saved by grace through faith, and faith, given as a gift of God's grace, does. Faith works. And Noah shows us that. So let's jump back now, as I promised, to verse 6. Jesus didn't come back. I didn't fall dead. So we get back to verse 6 like I promised. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Some of your virgins might say diligently seek Him. And obviously, I think, obviously, 
I need to reread verses four to six to see where this connection and this flow of thought comes from. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch pleased God in verse 5. And so now we see the connection with pleasing God and faith here in verse 6. By faith, Enoch pleased God, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. And again, I skipped this verse because I wanted to get the three examples given as all pleasing to God by their faith and then explore what this verse is saying in light of all of them as seems fit, at least to me. And I think this verse is so important, so vital to our understanding of this whole chapter and really the whole Christian life, really the whole Bible. So I put it at the end of the exegetical flow. That's just fun. Somebody say exegetical flow. Don't, don't. You don't have to. An exegetical flow. So we've seen Abel, Enoch, and Noah all were pleasing to God and gave what they gave and did what they did. How? By faith. And we'll see that all through the rest of the chapter too, for sure. Faith is important, to put it mildly, but the author does not put it mildly. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, to please God, the writer says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I want you to let that sink in really well, real good. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not hard. To please God without faith, it's literally not in the realm of possibility. So God can be pleased, and we saw that with Abel, Enoch, and Noah, right? And their faith was said to be the vehicle of that pleasing. What does it mean to please God? That's an important question. And I think the second part of this verse helps us to see that a little more clearly, what it means to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, that's very interesting to me. One part of pleasing God is drawing near to God. It pleases God for his people to draw near to him. And that drawing near has a couple of things listed that we must do in order to draw near. First, we must believe that God is. That's first. And second... We must believe that He rewards those who seek Him. Hmm. First, it pleases God to believe that He is. I don't figure God's pleased by those who do not believe that He is, right? But faith believes, right? Faith has assurance and hope that God is there, that He exists, and really is, I am, as He identified Himself to Moses. And this pleases God and begins the process of drawing near to Him. So that's first. You must believe that He is. Secondly, if someone is to draw near to God and please Him, they must believe that He what? What a... I'm about to draw something on the screen. I might make the live stream look all wacky. Wow. Wow. If I ask you in a survey, if we had a family feud moment, top ten answers on the board. Name something that pleases God. Working hard. How about you? Um, faith. Ding, 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 ding. Number one answer. We're going to play, Richard. I'm Richard Dawson old, okay? Some of y'all don't know who Richard Dawson is, but he walks over and kisses some woman on the mouth again. Whoa, the 70s were wild, y'all. Some of y'all, I'm sorry. Anyway, I would guess that God is a rewarder would not be on those top 10 answers on the board. I'd guess. If I ask you, Name some things that pleases God. 
Uh, me working hard, uh, me exercising faith, me getting up early enough to read my Bible, me doing my devotions, me witnessing enough, me memorizing enough scripture, me, 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 me. It pleases God for people to understand and believe and by faith comprehend the fact that He rewards. Wow. Wow. Because if you're going to draw near to God, you must believe that He is. And that He is, that He rewards those who seek Him. If you're going to draw near to God, you have to believe that He rewards. Mm-mm-mm. I love this. <laughs> In order to draw near to God, in order to please Him, in order to exhibit faith, a person has to believe that God rewards those who seek Him. God is a rewarder. And He rewards faith. I love how Donald Guthrie explains this. The statement is intended to reassure those who are questioning whether the quest for God is always successful. It needs faith to accept this, but the conviction that God rewards the serious seeker is fully in harmony with the nature of God as He has made Himself known throughout His revelations to men. And he finishes with this, There is no fear that any seeker may not find Him if He acts in Because if you're going to draw near to God, you have to believe that He is. And you have to believe that He rewards those who seek Him. The Bible is really good. God is really good. Abel, Enoch, and Noah all pleased God with their faith. And they were rewarded. Let's just take a minute to tile this together. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Abel, Enoch, Noah, all pleased God with their faith. Faith that offered acceptable sacrifices. Faith that walked with God. Faith that did what God told them to do. And remember, the author is writing to his readers to reassure them that they are those who have faith. They are those who don't shrink back. Not to scare them into thinking maybe they're those who don't have faith. Maybe into scaring them into thinking, oh, you better not shrink back because God's going to get you. It's the exact opposite in this book. The message is, God is a rewarder. God rewards faith and you are those who are of faith. That's the point of the book. If Hebrews scares you, come to God. And it will become a comfort to you. So in his effort to reassure them that they are those who are of faith and who don't shrink back, he gives them Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And says, you've got the same faith. And so here in verse 6, there's a reiteration of the fact that faith is the primary indicator of those who have received the grace of God in their lives. Who are offering the acceptable sacrifice to God like Abel. Who walk with God like Enoch. Or kind of like Enoch. Nobody's gotten taken that I know of. And who have found favor in God's sight and are doing God's will like Noah. And those without faith are like Cain. Not offering anything in faith. Offering what they have not in faith. Those without faith are like those in Enoch's day who were not walking with God. And those without faith are like those in Noah's day who were condemned. And all, why? Because they weren't conducting themselves in faith. And that really takes us back to verse 1, 2. And I know I've quoted Piper once, but I'm going to quote him again. I'm actually going to read a quote from him. He points out that verse 1 and verse 6 are like the bread of a sandwich, which was actually an observation his wife pointed out to him. As he was stuck trying to figure things out. She said, it looks like a sandwich to me. He said, yes, it's that. And then he says this quote, which brings us back to verse 1. Notice how the two parts of verse 6 correspond to the two parts of verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That's verse 1. The conviction of things not seen corresponds to faith's belief that God exists in verse 6. 
And the assurance of things hoped for corresponds to faith's belief that God is the rewarder of those who seek Him in verse 6. Faith has at least these two components. One is the conviction that there is a great unseen God who exists absolutely and does not depend on us in any way in the least. And the other is the assurance that this great unseen God is a God of love and bounty and free and sovereign grace for all who seek Him in truth. End of quote. And to that I say... Yes. And with that being said, we'll turn our attention to application from this passage today. What are we going to do with it? How should this affect us? As followers of Jesus, what do we do with our faith? That's the question today. And we'll look at it with three W's. Dub, dub, dub. Worship, walk, work. Faith worships, faith walks, and faith works. So this should be evident in your life as well. Follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, stay with me. We're going to talk to you at the end too. So first, faith worships. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel brought an offering to God. What's an offering? An offering is worship. I want to worship God, so I bring him an offering. King David said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So we bring offerings in our worship. Faith is a blessing to us for sure, but the point of our faith is to please God. Your faith is not say, check me out, I got good faith, check me out. I'm a faith, I'm a, I should be in a hall of faith. Look at all my faith. You're not the point of your faith. God is the point of your faith. And that faith should lead you to worship Him. The faith that God gives His children, the faith that God demands from His children, will lead His children to offer acceptable sacrifices to Him. Which means that faith will lead His children to worship Him. Let me ask you this question. If you take Sunday morning out of the picture, are you worshiping God with your life? Y'all look mean. Crap. I'm not trying to be mean. Your faith leads to your worship. There is no worship apart from faith. And there is no faith that will not produce worship. Not in the biblical sense. And what's worship? All of it's worship. Every breath. Every morsel of food. Every hour of sleep, every good morning, sweetie, every morning breath kiss, that's worship, y'all. That cost you something. Trust me. Cost my wife something, I know that. Listen to me, please listen to me. It's all worship. And by the faith that God provides, as we walk in that faith, All of life will be worship. Your work day is an offering to God. Do it by faith. Your vacation is an offering to God. Do it by faith. The time we spend together here on Sunday morning slash Sunday afternoon is worship. Do it by faith. Faith that God provides. Coming to God and saying, God, help me to walk in faith today that I might worship you well today. And I would pray and hope that even your sin would lead you to worship. Me running to God with my sin. Here it is. I did it again. 
And the blood of Jesus is sufficient to take away the penalty for that sin. I praise you, God. Look, all of a sudden your sin has turned into worship. I'm not saying sin so that you can worship. But I'm saying when you sin, worship. All of it so that you might worship. Every single bit of it. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And how about this one? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There is nothing you will do that is more spiritual than what you do with your body. Here's my body, God. I present it to you in worship. There's a lot of things we do with our bodies that you wouldn't call worship, right? Stop doing those things. By faith. And by faith, offer your body to God. God, the fingers, the forehead. I don't know what God can do with my forehead, but it's a lot of it there, so there's an ample opportunity for Him. My head, my heart, my life, my feet, my hands. God, I give it all to You in worship. And we can only do that by Faith worships. Secondly, faith walks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. We saw in Genesis that what Enoch did to please God was he walked with him. And he, obviously, the writer of Hebrews points out, he walked with God in faith. And as such, he just kept walking, just kept walking. And God said, just come on. Just come on. I want you to walk with me in heaven, not on earth anymore. We see that as a fairy tale, I'm afraid. And I'm not suggesting that if you walk right, God will take you. One day he's going to take us all, isn't he? Whether individually or collectively. Enoch walked with God. And he walked with God in faith. And that's what showed God's commendation on his life. That's what God was pleased in and through in Enoch's life. And listen to me. The life of faith is to produce in us a life that walks with God. Which is a relationship with God. Our worship is to lead to a way of life. And when you see the word walk in this context, in the scripture, it's literally referring to how we conduct ourselves through the course of our lives. How you live is your walk. And faith walks. Those of you that have known me for more than a minute probably know that I place great value in the work that God did through Watchman Nee. And back when we were at the Seventh-day Adventist building on Wednesday night, we went through a little book about this big and about that thick, 70-some pages, I think, called Sit, Walk, Stand. If you haven't read it, read it. You should get it. And he describes in that book that the process of the Christian life is that we sit, we see ourselves as seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And it goes through the book of Ephesians, by the way, painting this picture, and it's right there. You can't miss it. And once you read that little book, you can't miss it when you read Ephesians the next time. You're like, oh, shoot, it's been there the whole time. So sit, we see ourselves as seated in Christ, which is a position of rest, right? Jesus finished His work, so He sat down. We start our Christian life from rest, but that sitting or seeing ourselves as seated, leads to what? Walking. And our walk is how we conduct ourselves through our life on this earth for the time that we're given. I'm going to read just several verses in Ephesians that talk about our walk. Faith walks. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And again, the walk looks like what the rest of it says. Ephesians 5, 1-2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let no one deceive you. This is 5, 6 to 10. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 5, 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what walking in faith looks like. And again, you can look at the middle section of Ephesians to really see that expanded upon over and over and over again. And listen, it's not a list of things to do. Don't write, well, this is what I should do. Doing this, I should be doing this. I'm gonna try harder, do better, do this than this. Man, that's a lot of stuff to do. I don't know if I can. You can't. In and of yourself. How do we walk? We walk by faith, not by sight. And faith is the assurance of these things that we hope for, the conviction of these things that we don't even see in our own lives yet. And He's going to do it. Faithful is He who calls you. He will surely do it. And by faith we say, "I trust you, God." I see a mess. And you see a piece of clay that you're fashioning into the image of your son. Help me to walk that way. Walk this way. Talk this way. Oh, no, wait, that's Aerosmith. That's not Bob. We walk by faith. May we be those like Enoch who walk with God by faith. So, last one. By faith. Faith worships, faith walks, and finally, faith works. Worships, walks, and works. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I love it that it doesn't say, by faith, Noah prayed and hoped God worked things out. By faith, Noah just... I'm going to trust God to provide. By faith, Noah, let go and let God. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. I'm not telling you to go out and build an ark, y'all. Because God ain't told you to go out and build an ark. But God has told us to work. Get busy. As you worship and as you walk, that will be manifested in your works. And if it's not, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away and we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, which we've already mentioned. And I don't have my last passage up here. It's my fault. I'm like, that ain't thanks, but we already talked about that. I shouldn't be in there. Only faith working through love and James two, right? How can you not bring up James two? When we're talking about working. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can a workless faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, trust God, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. And let me tell you this, the Scripture is clear, dead faith saves no one. But living faith works. Back to James 2. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, 
so also faith apart from works is dead. You going to tell me you got faith? Show me. Work. Love people. You're like, well, but people. I mean, really, people? That's who God's given us to love. How do we show love? That looks a lot different in a lot of different situations. But the prayer is this. God, help me to show the good works that you've put inside of me. Help me to bear the fruit of the Spirit that other people might benefit from the produce of my life so that you get the glory, they get the good, and I get the blessing. That's what works are about. So that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not say, man, that guy's just the nicest guy. Even with that big forehead, he's a nice guy. Not about you. Faith points away from you and points to your God. Your works get the attention of the people and that attention gets deflected to the God who gave you the faith to enact the works so that he gets the glory, they get the good, and we get the blessing of all that. And we're storing up treasures in heaven by the works that we do. Wrap it all up. I can find it. Hebrews eleven six. I got to go way back to the beginning here because I didn't finish my message. I'm coming. I'm coming. Y'all wait for me. Have mercy. I went by it twice now. I got to go past all the Noah stuff. Here we are. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Believe that he is. Believe that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Know that your faith will lead to your commendation. And with your commendation, there is therefore now no condemnation. And it's always now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a faith that pleases you. Father, we thank you that you are. And we thank you that you are the rewarder of those who seek you. And if there be those here this morning within the sound of my voice who do not know you, Holy Spirit, speak life, bring grace that produces the saving faith that calls on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins for the gift of righteousness that could never be earned and for the promise of eternity with you. Only you can do it, Father. Only you can do it, Holy Spirit. Only you can do it, Jesus the Son. Do it now that they would call out to you and see that you are and see that you are the rewarder of those who seek you and may they begin seeking you with the power that you provide. The faith that is the gift of grace. And may we all walk in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty.